And I'm telling you, my generation doesn't pick up the phone when you call, right? If I see a phone number that pops on my phone that I don't know who it is, I'm not answering you. And you don't leave me a message and I'm blocking you. Welcome to the Leaders of B2B podcast, a weekly show where we bring you interviews and in-the-weeds expertise with today's B2B experts and thought leaders. You can see more about today's episode and guest by visiting our website at leadersofb2b.com. This episode is brought to you by Content Allies. We help B2B companies launch revenue-generating podcasts. We schedule interviews between you and your ideal prospects and strategic partners. You show up for engaging conversations. We handle everything else. Ready to build a podcast that grows your business in just one hour per week? Reach out to us at contentallies.com. Hey, leaders, welcome back. This is Ledge. I'm really excited to welcome Mackenzie Ferrone today. Mackenzie, as I told you, I always have my guests do their own intro because you know you better than I know you. So please do uh, introduce yourself to the audience. Sure. Yeah. Really happy to be here and talk to you on this podcast today. This is one of my first podcast experiences. So super jazzed about that. Yeah. As you mentioned, I'm Mackenzie Ferrone. I'm living here with my family, my husband, two kids and a dog in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I work for a company here called Carmuse Americas out of the U.S. headquarters here in downtown. I'm the manager of the marketing communications team here and was brought on board pretty recently to kind of redo their digital marketing planning. They didn't have much before I came. And so I'm trying to bring that aspect into an industry that doesn't normally take a look at digital marketing, which is mining. So they're uh, lime and limestone mining for things like construction and agriculture, environmental sciences, all of that came from an industry of biotech and medical device before this as a marketing manager. Uh, So completely different industry for me coming in here. Uh, And it's been really exciting to kind of get to learn how to use digital marketing and traditional marketing tactics in a completely different setting. And it's been quite a challenge uh, just to kind of get the foundational items in, but we're getting there. So hoping that we'll get to talk about a lot of those things today. And hopefully I can give a couple little insights here and there that'll help some of your listeners. Yeah, absolutely. This Mark Cotton thing comes up more and and more now. And we've been diving in, you know, with a bunch of different Marcom leaders. And I'm finding everybody defines that function a little bit differently. And and it's interesting. It's like in some ways a subset of marketing and some ways the almost the overseer of brand now, like this communications idea, which is funny because, you know, I think all of us like probably grew up at a time when, you know, you kind of said, oh, you're a communications major, you know, and and yet like how important that became relative. None of us saw digital coming. So I would I'd love to dive into that. Like, where does it fit? What's it mean? You know how to and and then we could segue into the you know more traditional industry is just having to grapple with with digital because gosh a few things have changed in the last few years. Yeah, I know you're absolutely right, and and I think it is really interesting that you say that because I had a couple of uh, friends in in college that I knew that went for communications, and and even they thought it was like a catch all because <laughs> right. they didn't really know what they wanted to do, so they just went for communications. But it is interesting to talk about what's the difference between those two. And I think you're totally right. There's a big difference between what some people think marketing communications is and and what it's not. I think a lot of people in older generations look at communications as internal 
internally facing, um, talking to your employees, building your brand inside the company, the right way to communicate changes and HR needs and things like that. Um, I've heard that a lot is that communications is kind of internal. In my career in the last, you know, 10, 12 years, communications has really changed to be more externally facing in at least in the industries and the roles that I've been in, where it's been more about like you mentioned, building the brand, building the messaging, understanding the channels and the avenues that are going to communicate that message the proper way to the right people at the right time, using the right methods. And something that digital has brought in as well into communications is then looking at the data and the information that's coming in on those communications to make sure that you can tweak and change and look at what you're doing a little bit differently. And that's something that's brought into communications as of late that I don't think was there, I would say, even five years ago, is this whole analysis and data side of the marketing communications piece. That actually makes a lot of sense. I didn't think of it until you said that, but like there are innumerable channels now. And you have this first, this choice of like, which channel should we be on? And then that each channel has its own flavor in digital. So, you know, you got different character lengths and different audiences and the way that God help us, we need to post on Reddit is like totally different than the way you might use a Facebook or a LinkedIn. And then you've got traditional PR channels that are completely morphing. You can't get away with your, you know, standard press release anymore because they just get swept out, you know, into the the noise. So, I guess that makes a lot of sense that, you know, externally speaking, you used to have kind of a narrow pipe, you'd have, you know, your TV radio and maybe a little bit of, of written PR and, and that was it. And that didn't involve bi-directional engagement, which you now need to think a lot about. Everything you post comes under ridiculous level of scrutiny that, you know, you almost like you wish your brand could have character, but you're kind of scared to have character, particularly in a traditional industry. And yeah, there's a lot of challenges there. Yeah. And, you know, I think to uh, communications, especially, I think if we're talking about marketing, sometimes if it's titled marketing, there's a little bit more of a leadership seat at the table when you're talking about strategy and things like that. But I think communications, a lot of people think of that as strictly a support role. And one of the things that I've realized in the the roles that I've held in the past is how crucial it is that marketing and marketing communications leads sales, right? And I've seen that very different. I'm sure there's listeners out there that are shaking their heads like, no, 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 that's well, not I'm, I'm a sales guy. Wait a second. Like, so let's talk I'm about this. Yeah. I'm guaranteeing that most of the people that are shaking their mm. heads if they're listening are salespeople. Right, right. <laughs> Well, we don't like to be led by anybody. <laughs> exactly. And, and well, and I think, you know, it's funny. I'm in a lot of networking groups and stuff with other marketers. My husband's also a marketer. So very much like constantly surrounded by marketing conversations. And a lot of what we talk about is that everybody thinks that there's their marketer, everyone. Oh, yeah. Because um, they think, well, I have a Facebook. I know how Facebook works, right? Except or, salespeople. We're just not sure what marketers do at all. But, you know, I don't and know. That's <laughs> really the case. Yeah. You know, no, I so funny. I just had a conversation yesterday with one of our uh, acquisition companies, their marketing team, and that's, they had a meeting earlier this week, and that's what they discovered. They discovered that sales had no idea what marketing was doing, and that's where we can tie in, because it's not so much they don't know what we're doing, it's more so they don't know the value we're bringing. So 
we had a really good in-depth conversation, all of us, about how do we prove the value of marketing? Because we're notoriously under-budgeted, we're notoriously understaffed, and the reason for that is because most of the people who get up to upper-level management positions are people with sales backgrounds. And so they think, well, sales is what brings in the money, right? And they don't think about all the work that goes on behind the scenes for marketing to generate that brand, to get your website in front of people, to generate leads, webinars, all of these different things that we do to help bring that lead and that revenue to your doorstep. But I think marketing notoriously does a bad job of being able to showcase the return and the value that we bring. So marketing does a bad job of marketing itself. Kind of. <laughs> and, yeah. I, and I should say, like, I am, I am a full revenue funnel guy, you know, so I love the interaction of these things. And it, it, it constantly just chaps my brain. It's like, how do we get in these situations where this clearly consistent system goes from top of funnel to bottom of funnel? Like, it's very important that these people communicate. And somehow in corporate, we managed to uh, totally fudge that that cross-functional thing. I mean, of all people to have at odds, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And yet somehow we ended up in separating those those things and, and putting them like, you know, at, at fisticuffs almost because it's sort of like, well, those marketing people can't tell me what to do because, you know, I want to sell what I want to sell and these materials suck and these leads aren't good. And you get this curmudgeon-y kind of sales persona that that marketing doesn't like. And then on the, you know, on the, the other side, it's sort of like, gosh, those guys don't listen to anything. They don't follow brand. They make their own crappy materials. You know, what what are they trying to do? And yeah, and that happens all the time. And And I think that's a shame because uh, really that should be a looping circle of, of feedback. Which is like, yeah, but it's possible. I will say it's possible. I mean, it, that's why I laugh because what you were saying when I started at my last job, so I worked for a company, uh, Griner Bio One, they were uh, biotech and medical devices um, and medical or uh, biotech plasticware. And um, when I came on, there wasn't too much of a marketing team. There had been people in the past but there wasn't like a real concerted effort to market and it was very sales heavy. And when I came in, I can't tell you the number of times I ran into those situations where sales was like, Oh no, 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 no. You don't know. I don't know. know. Let me, let me like how many calls I had to get on to <laughs> people to tell me, I know you're trying to build personas, but listen, we, that's not what we do. Or, or we know for sure. We don't need to do this. We know already. Right. Or, you know, how many times I get phone calls saying, Hey, what this sales sheet, where did this come from? This is inaccurate or something of like that. And I see something with clip art and misspelling. <laughs> and I'm like, it didn't come from me. And it was right. like a sales team member had made their own thing and taken it out. So I think you pinpointed exactly, you know, what that cycle is. But I will say by the end of my time at Griner Bio One, marketing and sales and product management were working extremely well together. The teams had grown and there was more people involved. Our revenue was through the roof. We had built um, an e-commerce platform that by the time I, I left to come to CarMuse was generating you know, hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars a year in sales coming through there. So, and that was this huge collaboration, right? Between the digital side, SEO and things like that from my end, the product managers who were picking out, you know, the products and the pricing for the web and all that kind of stuff. And then the sales team pushing the right people to that avenue, right? And it, it was the perfect synergy. It was 
fabulous. So they can work together. And when they do, it works well. Obviously. Right. Right. I, well, I, wouldn't we say that's the case for for all the things, right? Yeah. I mean, sometimes like product and engineering are at odds and you're kind of like, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> uh, finance is at odds with everybody, you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's absolutely right. I mean, you're really speaking about just establishing a, uh, a positive culture of collaboration, which just requires not unlike you said there, you know, pick up the proverbial phone and listen <laughs> to each mm -hmm. other, which I suppose you're uniquely positioned to do as a communications professional. I, I have heard from other Marcom folks that they feel a lot like the facilitator, that uh, they they connect the dots, you know, between uh, a liaison between all the different functions, because you need to make sense of that and unify it in a way that accomplishes goals and ties to business metrics and, and those things. Is that, is that accurate? Uh, absolutely. I mean, I was just in calls this morning where we're talking about exactly this, you know, so we've got goals that we need to fulfill for campaigns that we're running and that includes a lot of moving parts. So we need our business and marketing analytics team to be able to build dashboards for us. But then we realize that if we don't have good data in, we can't make the dashboard. So, you know, our, our, strategic products managers come up with goals. We have the tactics in Marcom to, to try to get to those lead generation and website visit stuff, you know, all those KPIs, get those goals. Business analytics are the ones that have to build the dashboards to see if we're reaching those goals or not so we can monitor it. And who's putting in that data to, you know, tell us where we are and how everything's performing throughout the funnel sales. So, I mean, just something as simple as running one campaign is going to involve sales, marketing analytics, Marcom, strategic marketing managers, maybe our applications team inside sales. I mean, it's it's impossible to do anything as an island anymore. Right, right. Yeah, I guess that makes the most sense there. And that's and that's comes back to that data that you're talking about. And uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of technology now built into things. And the bigger the company gets, the more everybody has their point solution that does it turns out a bunch of data that doesn't talk to anything else. And then you have data warehousing and trying to pull out business intelligence. And I mean, it's just complicated. It's like we're able to do amazing things now if we, we can make all the stuff work so it doesn't come free. Yeah, that's true. And also, I think there's, you know, there's, you mentioned earlier, so many digital things that we can do. You know, so I'm a, a certified digital marketer and I, use it every single day, but I am nowhere near knowledgeable about every aspect of digital, right? I mean, like you mentioned, there's Reddit, there's like how many Everything. social media sites yeah. that come and go, right? And they all have their own ad platforms. And then you've got Google who's its own beast, right? I mean, and you're talking about search engine optimization there as well as advertising. And it might be advertising on SERP or in display. And, you know, I mean, you have to understand all of those things, your, your audience, the different avenues, then you're, you know, we haven't even talked about email marketing and how do you, you know, how are you optimizing your user experience? Your UA? And so when it comes to digital, it's so hard as well as a marketing communications person now, because you kind of have to know a little bit about everything, unless you have this big, robust team, which most people don't. <laughs> Right, right. And, and and then you get in that situation of, you know, uh, being dangerous and everything, you know, just mm -hmm. enough to and then choosing channels. You know, you, you could you could go through just uh, there's all kinds of frameworks now 
I'm reminded of like, you know, the bullseye method or something like that like with traction, you know, type of ideas that we could try a million things. You know, there's there's people are turning back to billboards now and, and you know, <laughs> yeah. and print mail because, you know, your other channels are becoming digital. So saturated with noise that that all happened because of covid and. You know, now we can call people's cell phones where they, that was like weird before, you know, and it's just all kinds of stuff. So, yeah, we'll, we'll put that in there. You know, I think that that's leave that one and kind of go, OK, knowing what you know now, would you have what lessons have come out of that path? Like, what do you wish you knew back then, you know, uh, 10 years ago uh, as you were seeing the evolution of, of the role? Oh, man. I mean, I think for me, I mean, I came in so green and I was really fortunate that, you know, I came out of, so I have a, a bachelor's and a master's, an MBA from uh, Point Park University, which is here in Pittsburgh. And I actually graduated with uh, my job at, at Griner Bio One. Um, I started out as a marketing manager there for our bioscience division um, for a couple years before I moved into a larger business segment. And I was really, really green. And the job was meant for somebody, I think, much more senior at the time. So it was a lot of learning by fire. And it caught, that caused a lot of anxiety at the time. And I tell people now, you know, I do a lot of mentorship now of, of young, young marketers and um, people fresh out of college. And, you know, I always tell them that you don't have to know everything. And especially in digital, you can't know everything. So practice the phrase, I will absolutely get that done for you. And then you go back to your desk and you figure it out. <laughs> because I think one of the things that the generations coming up now, and I think kind of started with my generation coming in, we have an uncanny ability to be able to figure stuff out because we have so much information at our fingertips at any point in time, right? So it's like, I don't know how to do that, but I'll Google it. And I'll find a, a Linda course or a LinkedIn learning course that'll teach me how to do it. And then I'll get good enough to figure it out. And then I'm not scared to like play around, you know, with this digital platform and see what happens. So sure. Yeah. Learning by doing is, is acceptable now. I, I, any of the software types will know that, you know, you just need to be good enough to look at stack overflow and find the right example. And, you know, I mean, that's not, that's not disciplinary engineering, but it'll get the job done. And then, uh, you know, then the challenge becomes, you know, what they say is like, you know, the problem with quick and dirty is the the quick is forgotten and the dirty remains. So, you know, always sort of swing back around and, and make a good effort, but it shouldn't stop you from making progress. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, the other thing too, and this happens a lot, I think, across all marketing. I don't know if you've had anybody else talk about this is that a lot of times, especially I think when you know something really, really well, you want to make sure that it happens, right? Like you, I've seen people push like Facebook pages and things like that that are not working for them. They have people spending so much time doing so many things, email marketing campaigns and stuff that are not doing anything for them. But people are so afraid to say, well, I know it's the best practice to do email. I know it's the best practice to have a Twitter. So, you know, we should have that. And I did that a lot in the beginning when I was still really fresh. And now that I'm further along in my career, I'm like, no, we're not doing that. Get rid of that. Get rid of it. <laughs> you know, like you feel, you build the confidence to say, listen, we don't have the bandwidth or the time to spend our time in places that's not generating value for us. 
So let's not be afraid to fail. Let's try new things. But if we're going to fail, let's fail quickly and then move along. Yeah. And have that experimentation disposition. It's not just mm-hmm. guessing anymore, you know, where, and I think you can do that if you properly design your experiment. Like, how do mm-hmm. I know that this thing might be a success? What what would I measure? And what's our walk away point? And, you know, is that investment at a minimal level, just statistically significant? Mm-hmm. And then can we say, all right, that channel's garbage for this year because maybe it changes. You know, I mean, I think we could all look at like the evolution of LinkedIn and say two years ago was a lot different than now. Mm -hmm. And so you have to come back in some kind of reevaluative loop. And then obviously, like where that's where the personas matter, because where do these people actually hang out that we want to talk to? And yeah, yeah. and Jeff, and then the whole generation thing, God help us, that's crazy too. Because now everything's changing mm-hmm. to you know who are we talking? Well, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, you know I've had that conversation many times. I just had it earlier this week too, uh, related to that because we were actually doing digital personas right now. And, um, you know, I heard some feedback from some of my colleagues that I included that was like, well, you know, we're talking about mining. We're, we're talking about people that still have flip phones and, you know, they're, they're not using technology. So I don't know how much, you know, these ads are really going to matter and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, I had to have that conversation with them. And I said, those, maybe I will give you that those might be the people who are in decision-making or purchasing roles now. But the way that the generational dynamics look right now in our country is that in 10 years, those people are out and it's my generation that's in. And I'm telling you, my generation doesn't pick up the phone when you call, right? If I see a phone number that pops on my phone that I don't know who it is, I'm not answering you. And you don't leave me a message and I'm blocking you, right? Like, and if I... (laughs) It sounds terrible, but it's the truth. Like, I, I don't it. want to talk to a person. I don't want you to call me. I want to be able to chat you. I want to be able to email you and get a response quickly. I want to be able to find the information that I need on your website. I don't. Sure. Video. I don't want video. Yeah. yeah. Like, I don't. It sounds so horrible, but it's true. I don't want to interact with a person. I, get it. <laughs> like, I, I understand. Or I don't want to interact with a person until I've now until done. Right. An, I feel yeah. good about the research that I've done. Mm-hmm. And you've made me feel satiated with some kind of information that I can, can say now I have questions, but I mm-hmm. want to be directive to that that person. The consultative mindset has to continue to move to better and better results down funnel. You don't yeah. want to nobody wants to talk to six different people to get to a thing. Can you or can you not do the thing that I want? And can I find that information easily? Mm-hmm. And when I do reach out. You better be fast and give me what I want. (laughs) No, it's absolutely true. I mean, I agree with you. I mean, I would say when I look at these things, I'm probably before I reach out and expect to talk to somebody, I'm 60% of the way to a purchasing decision at that point. Like I, you know, I mean, it's, it's your sale to lose at at that point. And, you know, that's why we, we've been talking really recently about how important search engine optimization is because you know, especially in this industry, in this particular industry, there's several large players and, you know, there isn't huge differentiators between any of them. And so we were having conversations about thinking about it differently, you know, so maybe the product lines themselves don't have huge differentiations or, you know, the offerings aren't, aren't hugely different. So how can we differentiate ourselves instead of just sitting on our hands and saying, well, 
you know, a product, a product, right? A widget's a widget. Well, how do we differentiate ourselves? We can do that without using our product line at all. We can do it by being the first one in front of them, the most informational, easiest to work with or place in order. You know, there are things that we can do where it's just going to be easier and faster to work with us. And maybe that's the differentiator for us. Right. Yeah. You're talking about customer experience and, you know, the Mm -hmm. science of that customer journey, which again, you know, comes back to that sort of like uh, roll my eyes type of like strategic stuff that Mm -hmm. sometimes folks aren't going to love doing that. It's just like, just bring me more leads, but you need to know these things. I think sometimes maybe we we all wrap them into too many words and i'm guilty of the strategic sort of overwhelm as well you know customer journey customer experience (laughs) customer personas like womp womp i don't care but i do care you know i just don't think of it that way and i think if anything like some kind of unified revenue language would be like y'all like we get paid we only get paid when we make money Everybody else sells the same thing that we do. We're in a relatively commoditized space. And this happens in services all the time. You can't just say, well, we care more, you know, like, no, no, I can't sell based on that. Like, exactly how is this thing different? Well, I could fulfill your order faster, better, faster, more. You don't have to lean right into cheaper. And I think there's far too much of that idea well i'll just discount it this quarter no don't no yeah. don't do that you know oh, like, that was the worst and, and my last job that was what we always heard about the biotech segment right was like well just give me a promotion like a lot of times you know our sales reps are walking from lab to lab and a lot of times they get the sale just by what flyer is on top of the bench when the person gets back or if we have the cheapest product and i'm like i get that to an extent and i don't think that that's incorrect. I just think it's poor. I I just think it's poorly done to say that that's your strategy is that we're just going to undercut the value of our product and our margins to get this one-time sale instead of really trying to strategize and figure out a way that it doesn't matter what our prices are. That person wants to work with us for whatever extenuating reason that is. And it's not always that simple and I get that, but it can't always be based on we're bottoming out our price. That's just a poor business model. Yeah, right. And I think it's lazy, <laughs> you know, that, that we can do a little bit more more work on that. And in that way, omnipresence and sort of omni-channel marketing makes a lot of sense. It's like, I'm going to be doing business with the people that make me feel better and that I actually can get to know on a personal basis. We see that in the, the podcasting space a lot is that, uh, you know, no one gives a damn if you post this stuff on your company LinkedIn or on your company this or your company that. Like you have individual personas that have to communicate. And you can see this play out across all the different social channels. There is an authenticity gap. People do business with people. And, but, and, and I acknowledge that that's a difficult thing to do when you're a company megalith and people come and go and you don't want to tie your brand to one particular person that you know is then too important you know but it's it's a meaningful challenge you simply didn't you know there used to be the name at the bottom of the for reach out if you're at the bottom of the press release that's not the case anymore we're humans on video and audio and we need to write 
posts that people care about. And uh, it's it's challenging. Yeah, well, and I, I think, you know, especially in the last couple well, two years now, gosh, with like um, with COVID and now, you know, the stuff we're seeing at the ports and stuff, I think we're really starting to see what matters to people and what works and what doesn't. Right. So, you know, how much easier would it be if you are a company right now that's having an issue with your supply chain because of what's going on at the at the ports? How much easier would it be for you to try to retain the business if you know exactly who your people are, who your customers and potential customers are, if you know exactly where they are and how to reach them. And if you have a good enough reputation, brand recognition and relationship with that person that you can be like, to your point, authentic and reach out to talk to them and say, listen, this is the real situation. And here's how we're prioritizing you. We're going to continuously use digital channels to update you about what's going on. We're going to make your user experience on the website easy so you can see what's in stock, what's out of stock. You can get update emails when something does come back into stock so you can place an order quickly. I mean, if, if there's a company that has all of those things in place, think about how much easier it is for them to re- try to retain that customer in a really rough time right now than it would be for a company that's still using like sticks and rocks and you know doesn't know what they're doing. I mean, we're, we're working with a company right now whose most of their files are literally manila files in a room somewhere, right? So think about how much further behind they would be in that situation when they don't even have their information digitized. I'm going to have to set that up as the next interview and ask that question. So like, I only want people who deal with paper files from now on. <laughs> um, I, I, I want to leave time for it because you, you and I were talking off mic about being parents. And I think that that's a huge topic for professionals now. Certainly moms. I happen to operate in a solo dad capacity. So I read the mom articles and I kind of go, well, I feel like that too, but it's all right. I'm not going to try to steal the thunder, you know, (laughs) but you know, what's, what's that like? Because I think that communication comes a lot into that just sort of idea about the workforce now that people are kind of going, eh, I'm not going to go back and do that anymore, you know, and, and uh, employees have the power. And so it gets a little bit to that internal communication, but also the external where, you know, you're kind of going like, it's really hard to attract and, you know, keep talent. And, and it goes to that whole picture of what's life like now and what should it be? There's a lot of questions being asked. Oh, absolutely. And, and you know, we're doing it right now. I think you know, Carmia's is, is not unique. I've heard of many companies right now that are dealing with this where they have the most highest number of open positions they've ever had in, in history and they cannot get them filled no matter what they're doing. And so now, you know, this is what's happening in the company now. Marketing and communications is getting pulled into these conversations that used to be exclusively held in human resources because they've exhausted their normal channels of trying to recruit and interview and they cannot fill the positions that they have. And it's, it's a perfect storm for a number of reasons. And so now they're coming to us and saying, Hey, can you help us brainstorm new ideas, new places to be? And we're going through that whole process with the human resources department now too. tell me who your personas are, who are the people that you're trying to reach out to, to get to fill these positions? You know, what organizations do they belong to? What social media sites are they on? Uh, What websites do they visit? So we can start to put information in front of them in different ways But the questions on those persona sheets are exactly what you're talking about. You know, how many kids do you have? What's your uh, what salary do you need to have to entice you to come back to work? Right. 
do you have childcare provided? You know, are the people that we're going after, are they at the age, you know, if you're trying to recruit for, you know, maybe entry level or, or low level positions, people three to five years of experience, well, what age are those people? They're probably in their late twenties. What are people in their late twenties doing? They're attempting to buy homes. They're getting married. They're having kids. Well, in this pandemic, if they don't have access to childcare or if it's not affordable, you know, they might have to, and the salary that you're offering doesn't outweigh the cost of sending a kid to daycare, then that person's never going to apply for the job. Right. And that's, that's the world we live in now. And that's what I think we were talking about when we spoke the first time was, you know, like I've got two kids, not as many as you have, but I've got two and they're little and they're both in daycare. And, um, you know, the cost of childcare is insanely high, insanely high. So there's, we don't live in a situation anymore where one parent can work and the other parent stays home. It's just not, it's just not a feasible That's not thing. realistic. Yeah. It's not, it's not, you can't own a home in two cars and have two to three kids at home and have one person going to work and the other person staying in the house. It's just not realistic for like 98% of families anymore. So, you know, one of the things in these meetings that we're having with human resources that we're talking about is the companies that never, you could never foresee COVID happening, right? But those that were already starting to move towards remote work, uh, flexible schedules, those guys, they fared way better through the pandemic than ones who were like, you have to come into the office from eight to five and you will clock in and clock out and you get a 15 minute break, right? Like these very stringent they really had to scramble and probably lost months of productivity. And when we talk about getting people back into the workforce, from a marketing communication standpoint, I said, let's look at the personas. Let's look at their pain points. One of their pain points is going to be childcare. Companies that foresee that issue and do something about it proactively before this bubble bursts are going to have an easier time recruiting and retaining employees, period. And that might mean and I know there's people that roll their eyes. I know my my mother, because she's of a different generation, rolls her eyes whenever I say things like this. But I'm like, subsidize childcare, offer an on-site daycare two days a week. You know, there are things that you can do that would help you to retain employees or recruit new young employees. And I said this to the HR uh, folks at, at Carmi's. I said, I'm telling you right now, I love my job, but even if I hated it, if this company offered me some type of subsidized childcare, I'd stay here until you. I'd have to think carefully about it. Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah. And I think when you put it in those dollar terms now, it just seems to have laid bare some economics that could have been hidden, you know, mm -hmm. before, like we all sort of had to tolerate different things. And I, I also think it gets lost in sort of the political blah, blah, blah about, you know, should we do this or should we do that mm -hmm. and paid leave and all these things. But it's like, these are, these are realities that like as an employer, regardless of where you come down on who should pay for it or how someone's going to pay for it. And if you want mm -hmm. humans to show up and do jobs, well, rearrange the job or do something, but we have to innovate. And if we can change the conversation to some kind of innovative approach, it's no longer this idea of like, you know, we're just have to give people stuff so they work. It's like, no, like we need people at all. You know? and, <laughs> yeah. I mean, like there's nothing to do here. And maybe maybe we can arrange other you know, ways. It's, it's a good way to open up and say, look, we have limited constraints in the business. We have to operate a business that is now constrained on the supply side and the demand side. And what do we do about it?
And yeah. I, I find that to be more productive. So I guess you okay. can put on your facilitator hat there too. Yeah. Well, and I, you know, and I, I'll fight the good fight for it. I, I did some freelance work for a company called Flexible here in Pittsburgh that did exactly that, supported working parents with onsite childcare. And they tried to move to a virtual model during COVID and That's stuff tough. to support. It was tough, um, but it was a great idea, right? It was a fabulous idea. It was like at, at trade shows, at networking events, conferences, companies, they would offer pop-up on-site childcare for people. So, I mean, think about it. Like your daycare has a teacher in service. What do you do? What are you yeah. supposed to do? Well, if there was pop-up childcare available, you could just say, hey, I'm not losing a whole day of productivity. I'm not taking a vacation day. My kids are going to the pop-up childcare and I'm working, right? And I think, you know- I mean, if it was good, you know, sometimes you look at those and you're like, I feel oh, really sure. crappy leaving my kid at this thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know these people though. These people weren't, they were good. <laughs> right. uh, but, you know, I, I think you mentioned too, you know, paternity leave. I know there's a huge conversation going on right now about paternity leave and some of it, you know, I listened to what there was Joe Rogan said something about it a couple of days ago about how he doesn't understand it and why men need leave and blah, blah, blah. And I, I will tell you that as someone who just recently had their second child. So I, like I mentioned, I had a five month old, the first, the, my first child, my husband really didn't have any paternity leave. His company didn't really have a policy. And so for the first like four to six weeks after I had the baby, when I was like literally physically recovering from having a child and you're nursing, you're doing all these other things, trying to recover and learn, <laughs> take care of this new little baby. You know, we had kind of had this piecemeal, like my mom came a couple days here and my friends came here and my husband got, took a week of vacation and it was really piecemeal. And I struggled a lot with postpartum anxiety and things like that. And I just felt way overwhelmed basically the entirety of the time. With the second one, my husband had a, a paternity leave policy and he got several weeks paid by his company to stay home and help me with the baby. And it was night and day different. Right. Sure. 90 different. And what it allowed me to do was have time to be a person, to have time to, you know, what did I do at that time? Right. I read books on management. I took classes on marketing so that when I came into this job at CarMuse, I was fresh and back in the mindset and coming in with fresh ideas. I mean, it afforded me the time and the ability and the clear headedness to do that. And I don't think people think about that as well when they're talking about parental leave. Well, it's like like the rising tide has to lift all the boats. So you're mm -hmm. going to go, his employer paid so that your employer could get a better experience. The funny thing is you, you're talking about that. And I'm thinking like, you're going to say like, oh, I actually washed my hair or, you know, yeah, took, a, yeah. <laughs> took a nap. Oh you <laughs> when you have kids showers or at a premium, I <laughs> I would ask, I would ask people to come over just to be like, can you come over for an hour just so I can shower to feel like a person? Please. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. Like, yeah. just like, it's, it's like, uh, I need to go outside and scream at a tree, you know, <laughs> going to go crazy. It's so true. So, yeah, I just need to take a walk. I need, and I think there's a lack of understanding about how much you know, you're just physically needed, right? Like this, this baby physically needs you every minute of every day. And it takes a real toll. And I think, again, like to go back to, you know, human resources, communications, communicating to employees, it's so crucial to show that, to communicate to your employees that you don't care about them just as a, a number, as a producer, that you care about them as a person and you understand that they have a life outside of the company that you also want to support and that you want to make sure that they're healthy and happy. And, you know, companies that do that don't have employees that leave. Right. 
Yeah, I mean, that, that's the thing. Turnover is so expensive. Like attrition is absolutely brutal. And now it's so hard to fill. Uh, like you put all this time and effort into a person and you built a system around that. Is it really that expensive to try to take care of them? And, uh, you know, I, I would say that the economics now probably are leaning in the favor of these things are not benefits. They're not like mm -hmm. perks. This isn't like the you know, the ping pong table at the office. Like, mm -hmm. this is like, it's a war, you know, to keep the people. And yeah. like, you probably want to arm yourself for that. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and it was so terrible during COVID because I, you know, so many women were leaving the workforce. I mean, in droves, like every P, every percentage of growth of women in the workforce that we gained since the eighties was wiped out during COVID. And so if we're talking about we need to fill these positions, we need to, you know, increase our brand so that people want to come proactively apply for jobs and work for us. That's how you do that, because the untapped working market is women and it's women with children and lives and things going on. And if you want them to apply for jobs and stay for long tenures and give you their expertise, then you need to understand that they're whole people that have responsibilities and lives and might need flexibility and, you know some help every once in a while, but I can guarantee that what they provide you in expertise, service, and work is going to outweigh at the end of the day, you know, the, the benefits, you know, that you've given. Yeah. Or, and that like the leftover humans who are not of the sort of demographic that you're looking for, who actually will sit there all day, you know, but mm -hmm. productivity and, you know, output and like higher education and all these things. And I, I look at it as saying, we could extend that same conversation to all single parents who were screwed, you know, in that, oh, yeah. like, you just like, you got to work six hours a day. Maybe you had to go and do things in school and, you know, all the, the stuff. And if we now built maybe a little bit of the structure and the muscle memory on how to deal with this, why would you just let that go? Like mm -hmm. that's a competitive advantage. You just built a new system at great pain. A lot of it sucked. <laughs> Don't throw it out like, and go back to the dumb way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's what's that's what it's going to be. I mean, if if there's managers out there and HR recruiters and things that are asking themselves this question of, you know, how do we how do we let people know how great it is to work here and how do we get people to apply and all this? I mean, those are your answers. Your answers right. are to take the marketing approach and to look at. What are the pain points? Who are you trying to recruit and what pain points do they have right now? And I guarantee you their pain points are going to be probably salaries, childcare issues, or, you know, schooling issues. Because even if schools close because of COVID, even if you have school age kids, you know, your kid, your eight year old could have their school closed down for a week because of positive COVID cases and you're at home. What do you do? You know, I mean, those are the things that people are looking for solutions for. And if you can provide them, I don't think you'll have as much of an issue recruiting and retaining. I love that. I love that. Well, put on, I give everybody a chance at the end, just, you know, put on your future hat, you know, and a lot, yes, a lot of those things now are like, what should we think about? You know, is there like COVID this and COVID that? Like, I'm trying to go, all right, like, we've got a couple of interesting years maybe in front of us. What are the key trends and things that people should be paying attention to that maybe they aren't in the same way that we all missed. Oh, global pandemic is a thing. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. You know, one of the things that I've been thinking about lately that I might end up like totally eating my words about, 
But I think we're very much at the end of this like social media cycle, if that makes sense. You know, like I know you probably saw Facebook's announcements that they're meta now and they're going to move into this metaverse type of outfits and uh, (laughs) yeah. And, and, you know, and, but you're also seeing a lot of their, the social media um, companies, you know, their feet being held to the fire as far as like data privacy, what are they doing? And uh, are they too big? Should they be broken up? I think we're very much on the precipice of that and digital marketers especially need to, I think, stay on the pulse there because I think there's going to be some big shifts coming to big tech in the next, you know, like five to 10 years. Uh, Cause I think they're really at a tipping point. And I think part of that tipping point is going to be data privacy. So I work with international companies. And so anybody else that does knows about, you know, the, the data privacy laws in Canada, GDPR in Europe, um, that makes it a lot more difficult for digital marketers to be able to get the information that you need to target audiences. And we're seeing bits and pieces of that. So California has a piece of legislation. I think there's like a couple other states, Virginia, I think was one. There's a couple other states that have some on the books as well that are going to be similar to GDPR when it comes to data privacy and especially big tech using data. And I think what's going to end up happening is there a lot of states or hopefully federally, uh, there will be some laws that happen to protect data and consumer privacy that's going to be facing big tech, but it's going to affect even small time digital marketers because you're not going to have access to the audience information and the data that you once had. And you're not going to be able to know if you can make decisions based on the data because you might not be able to track cookies, for example, on your website, um, depending on, you know, if that person didn't opt in to do that. So I think that's going to be a big challenge coming forward. And it's going to be especially difficult for companies that have locations in many other states. Because like I said, right now, there's a bunch of different states doing a bunch of different things. So as a digital marketer, I don't know how you're supposed to comply with 25 different data privacy laws. So that's why I said, hopefully something passes federally so that we can all just agree. <laughs> this is what we're How many do. things end with that? I hope something happens federally. <laughs> <laughs> just well, and you have Apple. <laughs> Apple is now having opt-in for data sharing, which is taking a major bite out of, out of Facebook data. And then yeah. you also, so there's a vigilante approach of just saying, well, we're just going to do it anyway. Then you have, you know, sort of the elimination of third-party cookie data and, you know, all this mm-hmm. stuff that, you're going to have to make a compelling case for like, this is so good that you should share your information with us because here's some actual value that we're going to give you and not just jam stuff down your throat, you know, and tracking cookies and like retargeting and all these things that people have been leaning into that are really just lazy solutions. Well, if I just track people around with the purse, you know, thing, they'll eventually buy it. So it shows up on every site. Mm -hmm. I'll buy it just to make it go away. You know, that's, that's not going to be good business anymore. So I I think that's, that's absolutely right. No, I I absolutely agree. And, and, you know, inbound marketing has been a thing for a long time now, but it's going to get more stringent. I think you're going to have to know your audiences even more, and you're going to have to focus on creating a couple of really solid pieces of content, as opposed to a million different smaller, maybe not so great pieces of content just to see how much you can get out there. It's, you know, speaking from a digital marketing perspective, I think it's going to get a little bit more difficult to do relatively soon. I really want to see how it collapses that, you know, and does anyone put in their email address to get the white paper anymore? I kind of feel <laughs> like it doesn't have their like spam Gmail that you just, that's what you put in. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or yeah. let's be honest, I've never actually read a white paper. So, you know, <laughs> <I'm> just <laughs> 
please stop doing that. (laughs) Some of it is okay. I mean, you know, I think that done the right way at the right time with the right content, it can make sense. You know, what... What I've corrected so many times is, is oh, well, we need all the information. So I'm going to ask them for their name and their email address and phone number and their, a- and their address and their country and zip code and what product are they interested in? And oh, like, no one's going to answer that. Right, so. right. Yeah. Conversion rate is a thing. Yeah. So. <laughs> all right. Well, this is fun. We could we could certainly keep doing it, but I know everybody has schedules. So I want to thank you so much for the insights. That was a fun episode. And uh, if anybody wants to reach out to you, have some more conversations, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm always open. I love it when people contact me, especially when they see me or uh, hear me speak or whatever. I love having those convos. So Definitely on LinkedIn. You can find me on LinkedIn. It's uh, just linkedin.com backslash Mackenzie for MBA. Or you can reach out to me via email if you want. I don't know if you send out any information or if you put it in the... It could be in the show notes. And you probably don't want to put your email in there. God help the spam gods. But uh, oh, good you, know, Lord. Yeah. you could say oh, your email. Though. Email one in there, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can put your fake Gmail in, I guess. You know, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, Mackenzie, thanks so much. Great conversation. I hope everybody learned about, you know, Marcom a little bit and then some of the things that that are are really uh, key issues now for business. So thanks so much for coming out. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. This is great. Thank you for listening. And we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Leaders of B2B podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please give us a five-star rating. And as always, you can see more information about this episode and all the resources mentioned at leadersofb2b.com.